In nuclear physics, the minimum amount of physical material needed to create a self-sustaining nuclear chain reaction is known as critical mass. The idea is that in a complex system, moving beyond a threshold can suddenly unleash powerful, self-sustaining change. In my experience, this is the same thing with startup companies. Enter a market too early, no matter how strong the founding team, and you can be stuck waiting for days, months, years, for a time that never comes. Enter too late, and you're fighting an uphill battle against incumbents with greater scale. In startups, market timing is everything. In this podcast, I'm chatting with James Fuller, the founder of Henry, and I think James has timed his market entry perfectly. Henry is a bookkeeping and accounting service solution that appeals to solopreneurs, the freelancers, the consultants who are working for themselves. I see this market rapidly expanding at the moment, and I can see the tax system and the obligations being put on these people increasing all the time. I think you'll hear how engaged and excited I get throughout the interview, and I think you're going to really enjoy it as well. Welcome to Fractal Startup Marketing the podcast for founders who are frustrated that potential customers don't understand or they undervalue their innovative business solutions. My name is Jared Doyle, and each episode, I interview founders who openly discuss how they're tackling the seven Ps of startup marketing. In true startup fashion, we aim to learn through collaboration and discussion. Let's get into the episode. So welcome to the show, James. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So let's get straight into the pitch for Henry. But before we do that, I think it's just important that we talk about how you spell Henry because it's not (laughs) not standard. So people are going to look to find you and follow this while we chat. How do you spell Henry for your business? Henry is spelled without an E, so it's H-N-R-Y. That makes you full .com 2.0, doesn't it? <laughs> You've dropped something out. Started off with the .io domain name as well, which we've since moved away from. But originally, we were henry.io in that classic startup sense. It is funny how I used to work in domain names. And it's funny how some domain names just grab onto an industry and people go, that's a valid domain name. That's where we want to go. And that's what we want to do. And I've got a client at the moment who's got a .energy domain name. And it just, as someone who's worked in the internet for so long, and you know, I think of .coms or .com.au's, and I think about you know, top-level domains, it kind of grates me a little bit, <laughs> these obscure extensions, but that's the world we live in, right? We're running out of valid .coms. So I totally understand how you got there. So it's, it's short and sweet. So we're, we actually, one of the ones we, we migrated onto was henry.tax. So hnry.tax, which, you know, given what we do, it's a nice short and sweet domain name, and it's, it's very memorable. I like that. It's the domain name itself is part of the game. So actually, so let's get into that. So, so what is it that Henry does and why a dot tax would make some kind of sense for people? Sure. So Henry is an all-in-one service that takes care of all of the financial admin for freelancers, contractors, the self-employed, allowing them to focus on getting the job done rather than worrying about things like tax and compliance. So we, we provide a pay-as-you-go service that takes care of things like invoicing, expense management, payments, tax filings. We're over here in New Zealand. We're currently New Zealand's fastest growing tax agency, and we help thousands of individuals to focus on doing what they do best without having to worry about the burden of financial admin. So that sounds really appealing to me as somebody who manages all that myself. I guess my first thing is, isn't that what my bookkeeper and my accountant do for me at the moment? 
it, it, they might do part of the job, but I'm guessing that you're probably your own little mini accountant as well. So you're probably like I was when I first started contracting a number of years ago, I kind of made the same mistake that a lot of people make. And I went and registered a business and I, I got accounting software and an accountant and I had spreadsheets and internet banking and third party, you know, credit card payment solutions. I had all of this, this stuff. And what I'd done was basically created a little cottage industry for myself where I was I was like a little mini financial coordinator, kind of doing all of these reconciliations and trying to fit myself onto accounting software. Whereas at the end of the day, I was an individual sole trader. I didn't have significant amounts of financial complexity. And so I'd kind of essentially created a rod on my own back. So what Henry does is makes people's lives simple, takes away all of that admin and gives you a single place that you can basically use to manage your self-employment without having to have 10, 15 different services all on the go at once. Right. So you're disrupting that all the little add-ons and tools. And and look, I fall exactly into this. So I've got three or four software as a service subscriptions that I'm paying for. And you know, and I do, I manage that. I connect them all together. Or I, I manage all my accounts and I don't know what I'd spend, but probably guess 5% of my working day is probably spent on financial admin. Probably 15% is spent on actual admin. So that's the problem you're addressing, right? So it's it's the time that I spend being my own bookkeeper or doing my own work. Does that mean I lose my bookkeeper or I don't need them anymore or would I still retain their services as well? No, you you wouldn't need a bookkeeper or an accountant. So we, we play that role. So we kind of, in a, in a cheesy sort of way, we call ourselves service as a software. So not only are we using smart tech to make things really easy for you and give you an app in your pocket to manage this stuff, but also we are tax experts ourselves. It's not faceless software that allows you to get stuff wrong. And, and you know, anyone can pick up accounting software and, and put a whole bunch of bad data in and end up getting in trouble with, uh, with the ATO. Whereas we're actually a registered tax agent, which means that we have a responsibility to work for you, just like your accountant and bookkeeper does, to make sure that you're compliant and that you're getting stuff in there in the right place. So does that mean I don't need my zero subscription anymore? Correct. Yes. Right. Yep, that's right. So uh, you're probably a bit like me. So when I was a contractor back in the day, you know, I got my, well, I went to an accountant, they set me up with zero and I was paying quite a high monthly charge for a lot of complexity that I really wasn't using. So I tended to try and use as much of it as possible, even though it wasn't really appropriate for me. So when you're a small business and you have inventory and creditors and lots of complexity, then then zero and products like it are fantastic. But when you're, you're an individual contractor or a freelancer, it's just overkill. I mean, I don't know about you, I found myself adding myself to the inventory in zero and then sending my clients invoices for sort of quantities of me. Like the whole thing was just a complete waste of my time. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's just so timely because I was looking sort of through my company credit card statement, looking at all the SaaS products, like it's almost like every month I look and go, what am I paying for that I don't really know use? And I looked at what zero costs and, and and you're right, like no doubt it's a great tool, but I never log in there. Like it's just, it just records everything from my accountant and my bookkeeper. And I do wonder, it seems like I'm paying a lot of money for something, but I, it also strikes me that you're disrupting one of the great, if not the greatest New Zealand startup from inside New Zealand. So how does, how does that go down in the startup industry? Well, it's, it's interesting because I think when we first started, people would say to us exactly this they would say well you're, you're going after zero and my, my response to that is always actually that you know and we, we've talked to zero a couple of times really we're, we're going after the market that zero doesn't support you know if you go as an individual and you sign up for zero and you have a question about your own personal tax and you don't have an accountant or bookkeeper to 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 take that question to zero isn't there to help you zero is a software platform that is used by accountants to make accountants lives easier 
Whereas we are a service that makes the individual's lives easier. That, you know, again, if you're a bit like me, Zero's recording everything for you. And then at the end of the financial year, your accountant or bookkeeper prints off Zero, and usually they do print, and they hand you this thing and they say, can you sign to say that this is accurate? Which is insane because what am I paying this person for if not to be the sort of custodian who tells me whether something is accurate or not? And so, you know, you're probably, you know, a lot of, like a lot of people saying, well, aren't you going after zero? Whereas actually I describe our market as being sub-zero. It's the people for whom zero is too complex. I love, I love sub-zero. I've got, I've got visions of my youth playing Mortal Kombat and sub-zero, one of the characters. For anyone who's old enough and nerdy enough to remember that, I think actually movies came out afterwards. So I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, that's really interesting. So something you said there really struck a nerve or, or, or resonated with me actually was this idea that I'm paying for zero for my accountant and my bookkeeper. And it's almost like I'm paying the subscription to make their lives easier. And what you're saying is what you're doing is actually making my life, the business owner's life easier. And I love the way you, you twisted that around so that in my head, I'm like, yeah, why am I paying for my accountant software? <laughs> it's a totally different thing. And, and the minute you said that, that positioning just made me really go, yeah, I think this is, you're right. This is all the wrong way around. I shouldn't be paying for the accountant's tools. I should be paying for my tools. Yeah. And I think that's, it's funny because when I, when I looked at it and I looked again, you know, like you say, you look at that bank statement, you look at those outgoings of all of the tools that you have in your arsenal that you, you kind of amass and you look at those and you say, where are the tools and the services that are genuinely making my life? easier. And I would always look at things like uh, whether it was calendar management or email, and I would some of them which you're paying for, and you're going, these are genuinely driving value in my business because they save me time, they reduce clutter and complexity. And I would always arrive at my accountant and zero, and I'd say, well, I'm paying for this thing. And I have to reconcile all my transactions like a zombie. I've got to sit there and, and do all this matching. I've got to categorize all of the expenses as they come in. I've got to do all of this stuff, and I'm paying for it. And yet I'm also paying for an expert who, again, I, you know, you go to go back to you know, what are we replacing here with with Henry? My my feeling was that when I hired an accountant, that was me outsourcing all of this stuff. I'd say, look, I've got a great accountant, and they're going to take care of all of this for me. But what I realized is actually very quickly you realize that they don't do all of the work. They do part of it. They do some calculations for you, and they might check a bit of data. But I was still making all the payments. I was still maintaining relationships with people like insurance brokers. I was still having to manage my own systems and spreadsheets and everything else. And you go, well, I'm paying quite a lot of money. And what I'm getting for it is essentially someone who's going to provide me with my printout of my accounting software at the end of the year and give me that stamp of approval. Whereas actually what I need is a service, a tool that genuinely saves me time, money and hassle. Yeah, I can I can see that. And I think it's important here that because you you know, there might be some accountants or people who are married to accountants or children of accountants who will sort of be getting really riled up here. And I think it's really important that we go back and we talk about what you you know you clearly define who that target persona is. This is in, this is in my, my interpretation of it. But it's a freelancer, it's a sole trader, it's someone whose books and their business is relatively simple. What they do might be really complicated, but at the end of the day, they've got money coming in, they've got some expenses, but they're not running massive payrolls. They're not sort of running really complicated systems and multi offices and and lots of staff. This is a, a relatively simple from an accounting point of view business. That's your target market, and so there is a point. Obviously, accountants have a, have a significant and important role to play in complex business in sorting solutions. But I'm right in what I say there, that's not your target market. So accountants who listen to this, don't get too upset about it. The sweet clients, the big clients, the money makers are all still there. We're talking about everybody under that space, the solopreneurs, that's the target, right? 
Absolutely. And, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I think accountants are fantastic. They're actually, you know, they're genuinely a great partner for us in that we have a lot of accountancies we work with who, when your average freelancer walks through the door and they say, hey, well, this is me. I'm a solopreneur. I'm a graphic designer. I do X, Y, and Z. The accountant knows that they're, they're essentially getting someone who's going to be, from their perspective, high volume and low value. They're people who aren't going to be very complex and therefore they can't be kind of pushed into spending more on kind of wider professional services. And they tend to just be kind of, you know, cut and dried process year on year, which for an accountant, you know, I, I always say this to my accountant friends, you've gone and studied for how long? It might be five years, however long. All of the qualifications, all of the detail they go into about complex gray area tax, the really gnarly stuff, none of them want to be sitting there processing a freelancer's BAS return because it's it's largely quite simple. What they want to be doing is either giving professional advice, they want to be working with larger organizations, they want to be doing the meaty things that are never going to be automated by software. And that's where we come in as we say, well, actually, when it comes to the freelancer, freelancers, the contractors, let's let the tools do the talking for that bit. And where you need complex financial advice, go and find an accountant, go and find an account, a financial advisor, and we'll even recommend you the ones that we work with who genuinely understand the freelance, the contract market. And how big is that freelancer market? Because in, in my mind, it sometimes it gets sort of pushed aside. We don't think about it, but it must be a fairly significant size across Australia and New Zealand, at least. It's huge. So on average, countries like Australia, New Zealand, the UK, Canada, uh, roughly have 15, between 15 and 20% of the population is earning what we've termed um, independent income. So we, we tend to, to think in a number of different ways, but if you ball up every, every profession that sits under freelancers, contractors, uh, sole traders, uh, including tradespeople, and then you've got independent consultants, and let's not forget good old gig economy workers. If you ball up all of those people who are earning some or all of their income from independent earning, that's a huge amount of people. I mean, it's about 4 million people in Australia today are earning some form of independent income. And they're kind of largely forgotten by the banking system, by government. Um, they're kind of underserved by the financial products market, but they don't have any of that same kind of security and benefit that you get from being a permanent member of staff. Right. So great market to go after. When you think, when you say this is a big market. So normally when I'm talking to a startup, it's smaller markets, like you've got a big market to go after here. So who within that market does your offering resonate the most with? And, and what's the message that you deliver succinctly that makes them go, yes, I need to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to trust you because there's a, there's a big trust factor here. So who, who are the early adopters that you're finding and jumping into your service? And, and what is it that you're saying to them that's making them sort of go, yes, I'm willing to give Henry a go? So I would say we, we kind of talk about our, our, our kind of target market, I suppose. I mean, you're quite right. There's a very, very broad base of people. And our customer base at the moment is incredibly broad. But the ones that we find that it resonates most with, the people who, who kind of click into our service most readily are what we would call like sort of creative, technical freelancers and contractors. So those are people working in the creative industry. Maybe they're in media and design or photography. It's people who are in professional services who are kind of full-time contractors. But, you know, as I say, it's we, we kind of stepped away from true personas sort of quite early on in, in the life of the startup because what we realized is actually it's more about people's attitude and behaviors rather than what they what they do or the kind of demographics. So for instance, we talk about the people who are the kind of the hands-on battlers, who are the people who, you know, maybe they're doing all of this stuff themselves with their tax and compliance and their invoicing, and they're never comfortable that they're getting it right, but they sort of muddle through year on year. And then you've got the people who are kind of unhappy, they're sort of the unhappy outsourcers who are people like me who have an accountant and maybe have a bookkeeper or have some other things in place 
but we're spending too much money, we're spending too much time, and we're looking for a way to, to simplify things. And then probably the third key persona is the sort of you kind of call it the unconsciously non-compliant. It's the people who think that they've absolutely nailed this. They're like, I've got a system, I've got spreadsheets, I've got all this stuff nailed down, everything works perfectly for me. We introduce a few messages there around, well, how much of your time are you actually spending doing this? And how much of the risk is sitting with you rather than sitting with a tax professional? And it's those kind of messages around time saving, about money saving, about being able to go out and actually enjoy your life rather than having to spend, you know, every other weekend thinking about GST returns. You know, those are the messages that, you know, these people are, are not, as I say, they're not running a small business. They're not trying to grow their empire of staff. They're just, you know, they're business analysts, they're graphic designers. They, they want one, one or two things. They want steady income, they want career progression, and they want to be able to spend time with friends and family. And those are the kind of messages that really resonates with, with people. It's, you know, we see Henry almost like a lifestyle choice. You know, if you want to go and be that, that person that sits and does your own taxes and gets right into the detail of understanding tax legislation, then you go do that. You go be that person. But for quite a lot of the market, that's the furthest thing from what they actually want. Yeah, I think it's, you know, the way you sort of defined the problem or, or the frustration that you've got there. And if you can crystallize that and get someone to say, yes, that's me, I have that frustration, then you're so far down the journey of getting them on board. I can see that. I can see that working really well. Just touching on that last point I mentioned about trust. How have you dealt with trust? So if you turn up into Australia as Henry, people don't know you, you don't have a brand. It is, and you know, you're fulfilling an important function of someone's career, their business, their life. How do you go about developing trust with sort of new clients who haven't heard of you before? Well, I think there's sort of one of, one of two things there. I think, first of all, a lot of trust comes from actually knowing who you're dealing with. And we're very much, you know, we're kind of bucking the trend when you think about kind of software companies is that we actually put all of our team out there to be contacted. We say, actually, if you want to phone, phone one of the team and speak to them, here's, here are the phone numbers. If you want to email me directly as the, the CEO of the company, come and email me. I would love to speak to people over the phone. We are an approachable team of friendly people because we are your sort of friendly financial sidekick. And so number one is, is that, you know, you, you actually have a known quantity that you can phone and you can speak to who can talk credibly about things in, in tax and things in invoicing and compliance because we've been there ourselves. And so for, 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 for the one part, it's about being an approachable organization. And secondly, it's about um, starting to prove out with other providers and partners starting to show sort of alliances with some of the larger brands in, in, in the game. So you look at here in New Zealand, um, we have a partnership with ASB Bank, which is the sister bank of Commonwealth Bank in Australia. And when you've got a, a large banking provider that says we are partnering with Henry because we genuinely believe that, you know, there's a real future in, in, in kind of uh, more contingent working patterns. That's a great testament that goes out to the market and says, hey, look, when a big bank believes that this is genuinely a great product for freelancers and contractors, that's a great vote of confidence. That's interesting. A couple of weeks ago, the podcast episode was with Deb Morrison, who's doing Pet Cloud, and she sort of, I guess, put a lot of her success down to the partnership she did with the RSPCA. So that pet owners came in, they went, oh, in association with the RSPCA, and they do all of our phone calls, and they approve our process. And that trust by association just worked brilliantly for her. And it sounds like it's something you've leveraged as well. So I, I love it when I get a bit of a theme going, because all of a sudden you stop and you think, okay, maybe this is something every business owner, every founder needs to start thinking about is how do I develop trust and what partnerships could I possibly do? And yeah, partnerships can potentially bring you customers, but does it bring you more than that? And you know, you've articulated, I think the same way that Deb did that. Yeah. If you're starting out, you haven't got any trust. So partnerships is a, seems like and it logically makes sense is a great path to trust. So I like that. I'm going to I'm going to weave that into more conversations now and see if it's a if it's a universal trend to uh, start up trust. 
Well, I think we're, we're also in a bit of an advantageous position because, because we're a registered tax agent. There's a certain amount of base trust that you know that we've met the conditions required by the ATO to be a tax agent, which comes with having people on staff who are vastly experienced as chartered accountants. So as a startup, we have these kind of a couple of layers that says, well, you know, okay, there's some banking relationships and there's some other sort of ecosystem relationships we have with names that you already know. But also we're a, a kind of registered representative of the government. And you know that in order to go through that process, there has been vetting, there have been police checks, there have been checks of our experience and, and what we do. So there's almost an inherent level of trust as well that says, well, actually, this is kind of a government approved organization that has been essentially allowed to interact with ATO on my behalf. Yeah, it strikes me sort of how do you manage that bounce then between stuff? So in a classic SaaS business, it's it's they're hugely investable because you say, hey, this is great. Basically, we build all the tech and then we can sell it an infinite number of times. All we need to do is spin up more servers and everything sort of scales from there. Obviously, your business has an overhead. So as you add more clients, you're going to, I would assume, add more staff. Is that, how do you manage that gap between, because you, you're kind of skirting a line here, right? So there's software as a service and something like zero where they build it and then millions of people can use it at the same time and it doesn't really impact them. And then you've got bookkeepers who kind of have a one-to-one relationship. So I'm seeing Henry sitting somewhere in between that. How do you describe what you do? Like it's striking me as like a hybrid between SaaS and, and a service. So how do you describe that or have, I, or have I sort of misunderstood how you manage that situation? No, I, do. I think I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think, you know, when we look at traditional SaaS products, you look at it and you say, and, and again, this is a kind of reflection on where contractors and freelancers are in terms of their own kind of personal careers, is that for a long time, people have been left on their own. They've been left on their own to have to deal with stuff, to have to find stuff out all by themselves. And when I look at kind of a lot of SaaS products, that's how they work. I get in, I have to read all the help articles, I have to find out how it works. It's very difficult to get any support beyond technical support because essentially I'm on my own. That's the that's the model, build the tech, let everyone use it. No one ever has to speak to a person. We won't have a phone number because you know that's not our business model. Whereas actually when you're a tax agent and you're somebody's representative, you may not need to speak to someone every day of the week. They might only speak to you maybe once every two or three months, but there is a need to actually have a service element to a business. And I think what we're seeing is sort of a little bit wider than this is it's not just because we're a tax agent, but I think actually people are getting a bit tired of dealing with faceless software, particularly in this market where people are genuinely left on their own to fend for themselves for the most part. So having a business model that actually sets us out as being your financial sidekick, we're there to answer questions. If you want to know, hey, how does this little bit work of, of tax or, you know, do you, do you know any places that I could go to help get my invoices paid faster or all of these different things? You know, those are all of the things that, that we help take care of. And what we find is that for the most part, there are quite a lot of our customers that are self-serve. But the whole point that people are coming to us is because they don't have it all figured out and they're not confident about tax and they don't know all the tax legislation. So we see it, you know, in a few other countries, people just putting together sort of products where essentially it's, you know, if you excuse my language, it's kind of shit in, shit out. You can put all sorts of crazy expenses into these kind of products. You know, these SaaS products, you can go, oh, well, this is my this is my business jet ski that I'm claiming for business. But <laughs> can submit that through to ATO. And this, the fact that the software makes you think that there's some level of security around that. Whereas you you try and submit your business jet ski through Henry. And the first thing you'll get is an email from our team going, you might just want to think twice about whether or not this goes through to ATO because you don't want the consequences of them coming knocking. So it's that level of security that kind of gives people the confidence that they're actually, you know, they've got people who are working for them rather than feeling you're having to work for someone else and pay for the privilege. 
yeah, I, I haven't got a business jet ski. And, you know, I think it's funny. I think the big stick of the ATO or any tax office is, is the one thing that keeps people in line just a little bit. But you do meet plenty, plenty of people who are who are self-employed and they're always like, oh, I'll get this round of beers. I'll just put it on the company card. And you think, oh, I'm, I don't think it works like that. <laughs> and they go, yeah, I file it every year. It goes through just fine. It's like, oh, all right, I'll just, uh, I'll avoid that one. So it's a tough one. There's a lot of, um, a lot of people think exactly that. And okay, you know, different countries, different rules, there are different things. But, you know, what we sometimes find is that actually the level that people try and claim expenses at is just ridiculous. I mean, the sort of the kind of things that people try and claim or that they think are claimable. And this is unfortunately, again, I don't want to bag on accountants. But if we imagine if you are a if you're a professional services provider whose entire pricing model is pay by the seven minutes or pay by the hour or whatever these these professional service providers are, you don't mind someone rocking up at the end of the year with a bin bag full of receipts and saying, here you are, Mr. Bookkeeper, you work out which ones are eligible and which ones aren't. And they will happily, if that's their, their kind of business model, they'll happily spend six or seven hours doing that, going through saying yes, no, yes, no. Number one, not you don't tend to get a whole lot of feedback from them about what isn't claimable because actually it's much easier just to turn through kind of four or five hours worth of receipts and charge for it. Whereas actually what we do is say, well, look, as soon as you go out and you buy that business jet ski or that round of beers, use the app, take a photo of the receipt with your phone and you'll get the tax relief straight away. So literally you get the, the tax relief if it's an eligible receipt, you know, the, the tax relief will be will be factored into your income tax rate. So you don't get that thing of, you know, bin bag receipts at the end of the year and hope you get some sort of return. Essentially, you're, you've got a tax agent that actively works for you in the background whilst you're out buying all of these beers for entertainment purposes. Yeah, so let's just jump into that because that's you touched on something there that I'm curious to explore, which is this idea of the speed at which you and, and the transparency at which you sort of manage someone's income. So, you know, one of the being self-employed that's always a risk is this idea that, you know, you're going to get a tax bill or maybe you're going to get a rebate or how much should I be paying myself and what, what can I expect? And the other one is, and I know a lot of people like dipping into company accounts, like I'll just borrow some money out of the company accounts and I'll, I'll, I'll shuffle that. How do you manage that? And do you offer a layer of kind of control and restrictions that stops people from making silly mistakes, like spending all the GST they've collected and then having a <laughs> a big bill later. How how do you do that, and is it even possible? Yeah, so so we take so the, the, the effectively, uh, you know, it's probably a good time to talk about how our model works, which is essentially you you sign up for Henry. It takes about a minute or so to sign up. It's a really quick process, and when you sign up, you get given your own unique Henry bank account number. So that is a, uh, a bank account number that is unique to you that you can give to your clients and say, this is the place I would like you to pay me into. And either you're, I don't know, raising invoices out of our app or you're just getting paid directly, or you can even have a, like an FPOS terminal that can point directly into your Henry account. But essentially you use that as being the place that you have all of your independent income paid into. And the minute any money arrives in that account, we automatically calculate, deduct and pay all of the right taxes. So that'd be your income tax, your your GST, your Medicare, maybe even a contribution towards a student loan. You can allocate percentages of your income to go to anyone. You can pay off a credit card. You can you know, pay your mum back. You can do all of these kind of things. And whatever's left at the end of that gets deposited into your personal or business bank account. And essentially, you know that what you have in your pocket is yours to keep. All the tax has been paid. Everything's gone. All your expenses have been factored in to make sure that the right tax has been paid and the right tax rate has been applied. And actually what you get paid, and you know, that whole process, you know, to be transparent, that whole process takes about two minutes from the money being received to the money being paid straight back out. So we don't hold on to the money. We don't do anything with it. Literally, it's the money comes in, the tax gets paid. 
you receive money into your pocket along with a pay summary that shows you all of the taxes you've already paid. And you can have that confidence that when you're going out and you're buying something, that you're buying something with the money that is yours. I don't know about you, but I used to look at, I used to kind of funnel money off into different accounts and used to make nothing off the interest because the interest rates are so terrible. But I would always look at it and say, how much of that money is the tax man's and how many, much of that money is actually mine? Because I would like to take the family out. I'd like to go do something. And I'm pretty sure some of that is mine, but I just don't know how much. So a client pays an invoice for $1,000. You're saying that money hits. You work out what the appropriate you know, taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Are, and then within a couple of minutes, you're transferring the remainder off to say my personal account and that's my pay. And it's, and it's, so it's not done as like a payroll where it's wait every fortnight and then pay yourself. This is something that if the money comes in lumpy, pay comes in lumpy or whatever it happens to be, is that, or can you do both models or am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, you've, you've got that right. So there, there are a couple of services out there that we've seen that do, do this kind of, sort of pseudo employment model where you're kind of almost neither self-employed nor getting the benefits of being a permanent employee, but you effectively sign up with an umbrella company who smooths your payout. And, you know, whilst if you're if you're maybe the, the kind of person that I don't know doesn't want to get paid straight away, then that can be quite a good model. But with us, that's it's it's very different. Essentially, if you get paid five times in a day, you'll get five transactions from us. You know, with the tax taken out, and what that means is that you know you're always getting the money on the day that your client has paid. You don't have to worry about being a sort of pseudo employee or any of this kind of stuff. You get all the benefits of being a self-employed individual and all of the the kind of trappings that come with that. But essentially, it's, you know, if you imagine you get that peace of mind of I am always up to date, which means I can go into from contracting, I can go and take a permanent job for six months. And I know that I don't have a tax bill that's going to follow me around for the whole time. And I don't have to worry about, you know, retaining services for things that I'm not going to use again. So actually, it sort of it allows you to kind of to get into and out of self-employment quickly and easily and kind of allows anyone to take advantage of earning income independently. Right. And, and so, and you would manage the variable income tax bracket, right? So self-employed people don't know. It's like my income could be a hundred thousand. It could be 200,000. I don't know. The point is you manage that tax bracket flexibly throughout the year. So if you do get a big spike, all of a sudden you might have to hold back a whole heap of it just because you've entered a new tax bracket. It's a bit different. And then you might have a lean period and then, well, you can get a whole lot paid out. Whereas I think what most people are used to is the idea that, you know, your tax bracket's calculated on what that pay is. And the assumption is that it's going to continue at that rate. And you're saying, actually, we calculate it on the fly with the idea of the goal being that at the end, the, the amount owed and due is zero. And so you, you, you know exactly where you're at. Yeah, so so absolutely, that's the principle behind it, and that's what a lot of the smart tech does is to look at your income patterns, to to look at the sorts of work that you're doing, to take a whole bunch of that stuff into account, to arrive at a sensible tax rate that means that we're not seeing massive spikes up and down throughout the year. We're actually seeing a very smooth tax rate that maybe fluctuates just a little during those peak times or those those lull times. But as you say, with the idea being that you know, it's sort of. I suppose I, I always liken it to an analogy when I worked in a software company many years ago who uh, I won't name because I'm going to say rude things about their finance team, but their, their finance team freaked out at year end every year. And literally, they'd be running around like their hair's on fire and they would be saying, you know, oh, my, it's the end of the financial year, blah, blah, blah. And I always used to think, but isn't the end of the financial year just the 12th month 
of all of the months you've been doing this anyway. You've been doing month end. This is just another month end, but there's a bit of tie up to be done. Like, what is it about this? And now I realize it's because that whole model is crescendoing your financial admin into one period at the end of the financial year. You know, you get to the end of June or whatever it is, and suddenly there's this massive uh, kind of crescendo of hassle and, and, and pain and, and trying to find receipts and various other things. Whereas if you imagine what our model does is just literally smooths it throughout the whole year. So there is no pain and no hassle. There's no crescendo at the end of the year. We, we had people this year, we, we filed all their tax returns and they didn't have to do anything. There wasn't, there wasn't pain. There wasn't noise or, or cost or, or anything else. In fact, people were, so, people were so appreciative. I think a few days after the end of the financial year, once we'd already started filing people's returns, people turned up at our offices with cake and with chocolates and wine to say thank you. And I remember we sat there with this one, and for some reason, you know, and people people had sent. There was one one of our customers in Auckland sent her uh, her cousin uh, who lives in Wellington sent her over here with a with a cake. And this woman knocked on the door, and, and we opened it. And she said, "Look, I don't I don't know who you are or what you do, but my cousin told me that I had to bring you a cake to say thank you." And <laughs> it was, I mean, it's just amazing. And we sat there with this table of cakes and biscuits and wine and this was kind of uh, you know literally just after the end of the financial year when once we filed a whole bunch of returns and someone turned around and said when was the last time you sent a tech company or your accountant presents like this and that's when we knew we're genuinely helping people to get a handle on their business and to get ahead was when we actually received not only have they paid for the service but they spent money sending us extra gifts because they said you've done too much you need you know we need to reward you more so does that then manifest itself in referrals? So you seeing propagation where this happens and then I'm, a guess, I'm guessing what happens is that same person, yes, they send their, their friends around with cake, but I guess they also shout about you to other businesses. So how much of your growth is coming from that kind of evangelical customer base that you have? I would say at the moment, it's around 40%. Okay. So referral numbers are, are huge for us. And, you know, you talk about evangelical customers, we, we get a lot of advocacy on social media. And, you know, we, we do a bunch of a bunch of advocacy generally on behalf of our customers, but we get our customers themselves are incredibly passionate about the service. And, you know, they, they spread it far and wide. And that, again, is testament to just the kind of difference we're making to people who for many, many years have been dealing with systems and processes that really didn't fit the way that they worked. So it's fantastic to see a, a customer base that is genuinely passionate about kind of coming on the journey with us and being, you know, the people who've been with us for a few years, they, they remember it when it was, you know, just a, a shaky, a shaky MVP when we first came out. And, you know, they will, they will talk very fondly of, you know, the fact that they've still got the same level of service today as they did when they first joined and they were sort of customer number 12, you know. And how did, how, you know, so 40%, 50% referrals, what's the direct marketing that you're doing or how are you attracting the other customers? What, what's the promotional channel that is your choice at the moment? It's a combination of things. So we do obviously the standard social media advertising, but that, that tends to bring a certain type of customer who is maybe more used to kind of, I would just say that sort of online shopping customer, the person who makes online purchases. But we're very aware that, you know, the service that we're offering is for a lot of people is maybe a big change. Maybe they have to leave their accountant, which obviously we, we will do people do for people. We'll, we'll kind of break up with their accountant for them because we know that that's painful. But we, we kind of know that actually one of the things that is really um, effective is in-person events. So we run in-person events, not as sort of sales roadshows, but actually we'll just run Q&As. I mean, we have one coming up uh, over here in Wellington in uh, a couple of weeks time where we've teamed up with a local investment platform startup. And we're going to talk about 
financial management for contractors? How do you make your money work as hard as you are? And that's what we find is a really good acquisition channel just by showing credibility and authority in this space. We, we don't need to sell the product. We don't, don't need to go and shout about how amazing it is because our customers do that for us. What we want to show is actually this is not just software. This is a team of people who genuinely have your best interests at heart. So those in-person events, those Q&As, actually going and doing community-based work, that's a really important acquisition tool just generally for us in terms of our brand and our proposition. Look, I can see that working. And I think, you know, we touched on the start, the size of the market. And I, I happened across this the other day. So last Sunday, I, which isn't relative to podcast because obviously the time doesn't flow, but I, I just randomly put up a post on LinkedIn and said, I'm going to have freelancer Friday beers because I don't want to sit at my desk at home and have a beer by myself. So I want to go down to a pub. So I just sort of put it out there and I've ended up with sort of, well, I think we've got 74 people coming down with no agenda other than you know, you're a freelancer and it's Friday, come down and have a beer and join in. And I kind of, it kind of, for me, that made me realize how big this market is, but also how powerful events can be. If you, if you actually provide something, people will come along to it. So I, I can see how event-based marketing would absolutely work. And I'm looking forward to seeing you roll out the roadshow across Australia. To just jump into the last part. So if there's someone listening to this and there will be people listening to this thinking to themselves, yeah, that sounds like a great service. I guess my question is, are you live in Australia? When will you be live in Australia? And if people want to engage with you or follow or beta test or whatever it happens to be, what's the best way for them to find and and, and start chatting with you? So we are, we're, I suppose we've, we've sort of been open for pre-registrations in Australia for a little while now. So if, uh, if anyone's interested, they can go to henry.tax, so hnry.tax, and they can sign up to be in our pre-registration trial, which is going to open soon which is going to be limited run. So one of the big things is, you know, we, we don't want to, we don't want to kind of come into a market without fully understanding the customers and what they want. So certainly what we're doing is, is opening up this limited run trial in a couple of months time that will be an opportunity for people to actually engage with the product, to give feedback. And what we do is we're, we're a very customer centric business. So we're wanting to listen to contractors and freelancers around Australia and hear what, what is the pain that you've been experiencing. So if anyone wants to engage and wants to be involved in that, in that trial, then jump on the website there do just get in contact with us come and uh, come and drop us an email or, or get in touch if you just genuinely think this is an exciting thing that you'd like to be involved in we're building a community around this and we're bringing together as you said a, a bunch of people who traditionally have, have kind of been a bit isolated and saying hey how do we get a community of contractors and freelancers together and we don't want to talk to you about tax because you don't you shouldn't need to be a tax expert when we, you know we don't use jargon we're not going to be patronizing about what you should and shouldn't know we are just you know we're contractors and freelancers ourselves who just got sick of the admin and we just love talking to other contractors and freelancers and hearing about their experiences and how we might be able to solve some problems for them yeah i think i think there is an amazing opportunity to start connecting this disparate crowd of freelancers and solopreneurs together because like you said it is such a big population there are so many people out there we we focus so much on the bigger end of business and, and and companies out there and you think actually i can see the way our democratized world changing that everyone becomes self-employed because you know we've created like burdens with, with good intent uh, with companies but with payroll tax etc and these insidious taxes and i can just see people more and more breaking into the freelance world either by choice or just by necessity and yet there isn't that support network around it so i think if henry can position itself within that group and, and be a pioneer then you're in a rising tide market so look i think it's great I, I i love the idea of it i think a lot of freelancers will love it so I'll wrap it up there and just say, look, thank you so much, James. I've really enjoyed the chat. If anyone who's listened to it to the end of the podcast probably can tell that it was very indulgent for me because I'm there. I'm a shopper. You know, I'm sort of trying to understand what happens. But at the same time, I love someone who's completely redefining what is a 
notoriously boring market, right? It's not sexy. Tax isn't, isn't, isn't AI. It's not VR. It could be at the face of a bit dull, but I think, James, you're making it as, as exciting as you possibly can. So well done with that. No, thank you. And we've managed to go an entire podcast without dropping in AI, AI VR or blockchain. So, you know, <laughs> I, I almost feel like I've let people down by having a, a startup podcast that, that doesn't feature that. But um, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, you know, genuinely, I'm so passionate about the freelancer contractor market. And like you say, that right tied towards what we would call people having portfolio careers and you know we're always happy to talk about what we're seeing in the market in terms of that those those you know thousands and thousands of people out there who are looking to take advantage of a portfolio career and looking for the benefits that that can bring them so maybe that's a conversation for another time (laughs) sounds great james thanks so much for your time thanks thanks for listening to this week's episode i hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that'll really help your business As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.